Sly Dog Music Cast. Now here's your host, the Sly Dog. Hello and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, the Sly Dog, and joining me today, I'm super excited to have a returning guest and a good friend. He plays in a band, they sound like Pearl Jam, but he doesn't dress all in black. His preferred attire on stage is a leather daddy. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Smith. Is this the uh, the big Sly Dog energy I've been reading about on the Facebooks? Because uh, yeah. I, I wasn't expecting that right out of the gate. Jesus Christ, that's a that's a very deep pull from my history. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, yeah, thank you for having me back. I it it the only reason it took so long for me to come back is it took that long for me to get my voice back after talking about Billy Joel for eight days with you. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, and this is going to be worse. So I, I hope that you plan on warning your listeners about that. Yes. Uh, in fact, up top to, to the new listeners that are tuning in because this is a Porcupine Tree episode. Hey, um, you may see there's not a lot of other frog in this feed. Don't be alarmed. Um, and I may have some hot takes. So be ready for that. Uh, well, wait, wait a second. I need to I, I hold on. I was. I was doing my my listening. I need to. Uh, oh my god! I need to put. I need to put this away. <laughs> A piece of obsolete media. That's right. I was listening to Closure Continuation this morning on cassette to get ready for this. Yep, and there you have it. We're doing Porcupine Tree album by album, the Metal Years, as I as I call mm-hmm. it. Um, Porcupine Tree, very much a band uh, that you championed, and I discovered because of you. Um, I've wanted to talk about them for a minute, but, um, this year they finally really clicked with me. Like when, like you posted, like, I'll do my origin story first. Like I discovered that yeah, I, I, I was actually going to say, I think that's a good idea because my origin story is right before this and would lead us very nicely into it. So I was actually going to ask you if you could go first anyway. Oh, perfect. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, the first time I heard of Porcupine Tree was actually when I was in, um, I was probably in high school. I never heard the music, but I associated them with these guys I would meet when I go to speech meets that were into like ex- what I considered extreme heavy metal, like Meshuggah and Opeth, stuff that scared the shit out of me. So I assumed mm-hmm. that Porcupine Tree was a band that I would have no interest in for the longest time. Like, I, I'm like, that's just, it's going to be like, <clears throat> like evil, screamy music. So, um, didn't think about them for a long time. And then you and I became friends and you did an episode on Stephen Wilson's solo albums. And I listened to that and you mentioned he's the singer of Porcupine Tree. And I was like, what? And then hearing the songs in the episode, I'm like, this is really not what I expected. <laughs> like they're, they're like the, his solo stuff is different than Porcupine Tree, but it's still, it's very pretty. It's very melodic. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be heavy at times. So the two songs I heard in that episode that really intrigued me were Postcard and uh, Pariah. So I bought To The Bone. And uh, I was like, this is like kind of like Pink Floydy flavored modern rock. I love this. But I was still kind of afraid of the Porcupine Tree, tree stuff because I was like, well, maybe that's where he gets his, you know, screamy stuff on. But um, I remember it was the middle of the pandemic. You were posting about Porcupine Tree for some reason. And I just kind of was like, okay, where you tell me where I should start. And you're like, in absentia, that, you'll love that album. I'm like, all right. So I got that one. And I did dig it, but it still kind of felt like it felt very like intimidating in a way. Like I still was kind of getting used to prog music and the idea of longer songs. And I lived with it for a while. I got closer continuation. But then this year uh, you posted about the Deadwing box. And I was like, let me let me try another Porcupine Tree album. So I bought Deadwing and 
I put it on and everything just clicked for me finally. I don't know what it was, but that album was the one that was like, okay, I understand this band now. I understand what they do and I, I need to get every album. So that's what I've been doing ever since. I've been deep diving and listening heavily and you've been a great uh, guide down this road. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the, the thing, before I kind of get into how I got into them, the thing that I love about them most is that it really is everything I love in music and genre in one band. Beautiful, beautiful, luscious harmonies and arrangements, really heavy riffs, and 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 wonderful vocals, harmonic, incredible harmonic vocals, and the heavy, you know, as heavy as a song gets, it never devolves into crazy screaming, which also has its place, but it's not my thing. Right. And so, like, as, you know, the further that I got in, I was like, it's like this band was, like, absolutely created for somebody with my music tastes. So, uh, yeah, and, and it's it's one of those things that, like, I don't know. I, 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 I'm so, I, I romanticize their music so much that when there is somebody that, you know, I, I play a song for or whatever that doesn't get it, like it, it's one of those things that like, I, I just don't get why you don't get this. Like it's everything it's, it's, and it's, it's, it's perfect, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. And it's, it's always, they've, they've been my favorite band for at least 20 years and um others come close but there there is a place in my heart for porcupine tree that uh just it's 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 crazy how a band like this just kind of like took took hold of me the way they did and i became very very obsessed uh i'm an obsessive music guy anyway so that was bound to happen but when you dive into this and see how much there is under all the albums you know, it's uh, if if you're a collector by any stretch, it's it's definitely a band for you. Oh yeah, like we could consider this the start of what I'm what I'm calling the Wilson verse series. If you will. call it the start of something beautiful, exactly <laughs> the start of something beautiful. That's right. That's right. Uh, so should I should I do my uh, my origin story right quick? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Okay. All right, I'll I'll try to do it as quickly as possible. There are a couple of twists and turns, and I know I've told this story several times on on pods and sods when uh doing porcupine tree and stephen wilson episodes uh my friend ian who i co-host moronophonics with a friend of mine since high school we met in 90 um he he bought me uh the porcupine tree album stupid dream either for christmas or my birthday or just because he saw them and uh thought that i'd like them he thought you know, you like Radiohead, this is in your wheelhouse. I never quite got that part of the connection. And I, I gave it a listen a few times and I was like, yeah, you know, it's it's all right. I don't know that I'm going to, you know, listen to this again. And I have a very distinct memory. So in 2001, I was uh, in a car with him and our girlfriends. I was on my way to get a tattoo and he was playing Lightbulb Sun in the car. And Keith Moved On came on. And that song just, it was one of those moments where it, it all made sense. I was like, okay, now, now I'm in. And it must have been immediately. Uh, I started like looking at the website and like there was a live album due to be released. And uh, I started looking at the discography and then I had a trip 
to visit a girlfriend of mine who uh, lived on the West Coast at the time. And uh, at Amoeba Records, I found my first like early Porcupine Tree stuff and that kind of started off the collection. Uh, so In Absentia had not been released at that point. Uh, they uh, announced a show uh, near me in July of 2022. And uh, uh, I I went, what's that? 2002, I, I'm assuming not 2022. Oh my God! Yes, two thousand two, wow. <laughs> and also this this two thousand thirty three I have written here is obviously wrong as well. Um, I told you, I told you, I sent you a picture of my notes, and I told you I was exhausted after that. And that just shows. And thank you for for proof listening. Um, so uh, I went to see that, and it was before In Absentia came out, and they played uh, a few songs uh, from In Absentia that night. And that was the first time I saw them. And afterwards, they just did like a signing at a, a like this little bar that I would go to sometimes. And they were just kind of like sat at a table with, you know, a, a healthy amount of people lined up. And, you know, uh, it was just like, well, this was this was just uh, it, it was surreal. You know, you don't you don't kind of get that a lot, you know, especially, you know, I, I was starting to kind of like really big up this band in my mind. And to this day, I, I've met a lot of celebrities. I've hung with some. And to this day, Stephen Wilson is still the only one that chokes me up. Like, literally, I can't I can't say a word to the guy. I tried. I just tried to say something like, you, you just have to know how special your music is. And it came out sounding nothing like that. <laughs> um, he's just like the one guy I elevate. I think, I think he's, a, he's a fucking genius uh, and not just on the porcupine tree end. But uh, the interesting thing about that is I recorded the show uh, as I was a taper in those days and uh, went on the Yahoo groups uh, to, to say, you know, does anybody out there have any other Porcupine Tree shows? I want to trade. And some guy sent me this message. He's like, uh, Porcupine Tree Management wants to talk to you. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> um, maybe I overstepped. And uh, so I contacted him and he's like, um, Stephen wants a copy of the show. Can you send me a copy? And I was like, "All right." And uh, he's like, D "Give give me your address, and you know we'll send you something in return." So they sent me a copy of In Absentia uh, before it came out, okay. and I remember going on the group and saying, uh, "I got the new album. Like, I'm not going to share it, but you know, if you want to know anything, um, you know, ask." And people were like, "Yeah, you don't." And I was like. I'm telling you I do, and I'm also telling you that Heart Attack and a Lay-By is the saddest song he's written since Stop Swimming. If that's not enough for you, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and I I just have a very vivid memory of getting the CD that day, taking like a very late night walk um, <laughs> and listening to it. Uh, and it was just, it blew my mind. I was like, as much as I loved, you know, Stupid Dream and Lightbulb Sun, In Absentia was just completely something new and, and heavier and all of it was great and it was at that moment I was like I'm I'm in I, I think I was already convinced anyway after the show but after that I was like this is this is my band and and they have been and so I'm glad that you uh decided to ask me to do this because it's another one of those podcasts that I had to do very little research on because uh, it's literally the last 20 years of my life. Very nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I knew you had a great story, but man, you expounded upon it really cool here. And I do want to point out to my listeners that this man got a hug from Gwen Stefani on the beach, but can't talk to Stephen Wilson. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't, what can I say? It's, uh, it's been a ride. But yeah. but also, I, this, this factors into something that I was kind of thinking about before the episode. And this is something I, I, I might have gotten into later. The thing about Stephen Wilson is that every time he changes a lot and every time he releases something, I have a very deep fear that it's going to be the one that sends me away. And I'm going to be like, you know, this is the one I don't get. I think I think it might be over. And that hasn't happened yet. And I've kind of been accused of, uh, you know, lightly accused of, you know, it doesn't matter what he does. You're going to love it. But I was the hugest to your point. I was the biggest No Doubt fan. Uh, or one of them, um, enough that I flew to Hawaii to see them and um, and had a, a bit of a history with them. And they took a turn that I did not like, and I I never went back. Like, there, are, there aren't a lot of bands that can completely lose me, and they completely lost me. And I I was in very, very deep. So it's it's not a matter of me kind of forgiving Stephen Wilson for anything he does. I I literally think everything he's done has been brilliant. His last solo album got some, you know, some criticism from the fan base, and conveniently, I think that'll figure into the our discussion about the last album here. But um, it's just it, he's one of those artists. Like I I think everything he has done so far. There are side projects he does that just aren't my speed. Um, but he's also got side projects that I love, and I love more of them than I don't. So when it comes to his solo career and Porcupine Tree, especially Porcupine Tree, I don't think they've put a bad foot forward in the, the timeline we're discussing. I think all of it is perfect. I think they're all amazing records. You, My only complaint, which is something he'd tell you as well, is that he might have made the wrong choice for an album track versus a B-side. And I think you can probably find that on at least two of these albums, if not three. Um, but even having said that, there are entirely strong records that I would really recommend to anyone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think this to kind of expound upon what you said. I don't know. Like, I feel like Stephen Wilson is probably one of those artists. Like, he's a bit like Todd Rundgren in a way. What I mean by that is I love Todd Rundgren. In fact, me and Brad are going to do... Uh, ver our own version of the McCartney years where we go like super deep on the Todd Rundgren catalog and do it in interesting. Like, yeah, but I don't love everything Todd Rundgren has done. Like he'll, he'll sometimes do an album. That's just like, so left field. I'm just like, Bleh. like, no, mm. but I, but I know if he, after that, like, okay, it's the next one is still worth checking out because he's brilliant. He'll probably do something else. That's interesting. Or that I'll mm -hmm. enjoy. So that's so I kind of see Steven the same way I see Todd. He's a, a bit like that. Maybe not as unhinged as Todd is, but uh similar type of artist. He can be. You you th there might be solo stuff you haven't dug into yet. There's some there's some crazy shit in the Stephen Wilson catalog. Um but uh and just and I don't want to hang around his solo catalog too long, but I, I think yeah. even in the episode you listened to uh the album by album I did with Henning, who is a, a wonderful friend of mine who is also hugely into Porcupine Tree. Um, I think there are albums on there that I say, yeah, I'm not sure. I never kind of went back to this. Uh with it as you were getting into the catalog, I went through the entire Stephen Wilson solo catalog, B-sides and everything, and listened again, and I was like, 
Yeah, I think I think just like there are albums of his that I elevated so high that I put the other ones. I mean, they're obviously below the higher ones, but I, when he put out something that I was just like, this is, I, I think one of his solo albums is the best thing he's done, better than Porcupine Tree. Uh, and we'll get there at, at some point uh, yeah. in, in the next couple of years, hopefully. But oh yes, <laughs> um, but I, I went back and listened to the ones that I, I kind of tossed aside a bit because I loved the newer ones so much, and I was like, yeah, I, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair of me, like to to kind of take these out of rotation. They're they're great, you know. So you know, I'm back to just like listening to all of it again, and it's it's super fun. But um, the pocket of five albums we're talking about here, I, I think, is just just an incredible run. It is magical. And uh, I love that in doing this, we've covered most of my pre-album-by-album bullet points. Uh, I mm-hmm. did have one more because you're going to get really deep in the uh, like weeds of like shows you saw on each tour. But I did want to ask. I, I don't want to get too deep. I, I, I just wanted to mention. I just right. have some things to mention. If we were deep, again five-part pocket brad page you don't have time because we'd be here for the next couple months there are just some things we're going to touch upon as as just additional bullets but uh yes to your point go ahead yeah uh did you have a favorite like live experience like in this like run you've had i i do um there are there are several that are memorable um, but there are two that are truly special, and uh, I'll get to them when we get to those those parts uh, uh, through through the timeline because they kind of they kind of also play into what was going on with Birdie Pine Tree at the time. Yeah, and I, I'll say before we get into the album by album, I have been kicking myself pretty hard this week that I didn't trek up to LA for the show at the Greek on this last tour. Like I watched I watched a little bit of the Rock Class show, I watched some other stuff, and I'm just like. I know, I know it would have been fucking expensive, but goddamn, they're so good. Well, they, they, there is a live album coming out from the tour. Uh, yeah. That's been pretty much confirmed, and I think we all kind of expected it anyway. Um, it, it's, it's a thing. Aside from one recent case that I'm not very happy about, pretty much usually you can get a live release after every tour. Um, if not, there have been like archival releases. We, we have. And I, I just want to, I'll briefly run through those as we go, like what live stuff from that era was released and where, uh, if anybody okay. wants to kind of get into that stuff too. But but yeah, I can only hope they do it again, because uh, you, you do have to see them. At the very least, if you don't see them, you have to see him. It Absolutely. will be a life-changing experience for you, I, I guarantee it. If you love this music, to see it is just, it's something else. It's, it's, it's all-encompassing. It really is. Yeah. I even had them like I looked at the set list you saw from the last tour, and now that I'm more familiar with the catalog, I looked at it and my heart just broke. I was like, "Oh, that's just wonderful!" Like, yeah, I'll I'll have things to say about that because that was one show I went into avoiding spoilers. I had no idea. Well, we should probably save that conversation because that's kind of that'll fold into like reunion talk. But yeah, uh, cool. I'll save that. I kind of I kind of jumped the gun there, but uh, yeah, I, I just I really hope you get the opportunity. Or come out here next time they're out here and we hit a show together. Oh yeah, that that'll be great, right? Yeah, we can we can go see Porcupine Tree. We can eat some good food. It'll be a party. That's right. Awesome. All right, so we're gonna do album by album today. The Metal Years, as I called it. We're kicking things off on September twenty fourth, two thousand two, in absentia. 
first album to feature Gavin Harrison. This yes. album really sees the introduction of a heavier sound. Um, I think Steven said he was kind of listening to two bands that scared me at the time, Mashuga and Opeth. Me and he too. kind of brought that into it. Although there's one Opeth album I do enjoy, actually. but Crap. Damnation? Yep, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, that's that's the one that really jumped out at me, too. Good stuff. Yeah, this album, this is where I kind of like stepped outside of uh, Stephen Wilson's solo stuff for the first time. And at first I didn't get it, but now I love this thing, especially getting ready for this. I played the shit out of this album this last week. Like, I don't know how many times Mara has had to hear uh, Blackest Eyes, but uh, I love this album. Um, it opened it opened up me up to a little more to uh, proggier stuff. Like, I really listened closely to like the drumming and the, the kind of atmospheric sounds on this one. And I love the uh, the theme here. It deals with an absence of humanism and with the like there's you could just boil it down to serial killers and stalkers. But even like something like the sound of music, which, you know, deals with like music kind of becoming homogenized and becoming a commodity. So it's I love this album a lot. Uh, I have a lot of highlights I want to get into in a second. But yeah, this great, great record, great starting point for anyone wanting to get into the band. Um, and once again, shout out to Gavin Harrison. His drumming on here is just ferocious like fucking the creator has a master tape oh my god like that is i, I think even in the uh in essential documentary he, he talked about how hard that is to play mm -hmm. yeah when that was the first song i saw them play live they opened with that the first show that i saw and i think in the documentary he says something like we opened with it a few times and i was just like oh come on later and it, he says the same thing about another song um on the next album so uh yeah it's uh and and his drumming i i love the earlier porcupine tree and i don't want to take anything away from chris maitland he was a a great drummer a great showman and a great vocalist he's responsible for a lot of the harmonies on the the signify stuff and before but gavin harrison's just a, a goddamn machine like and i've I've seen them front row maybe two or three times. And I, I'm usually very focused on Gavin because he's just, he's amazing to watch. Uh, you know, he's like a Neil Peart, like, uh, you know, just how is this human doing this thing? Um, and it's, it's crazy and mechanical, but, but human. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it it just added so much. And it comes right out of the gate, I think, uh, on the intro of Blackest Eyes. You know, it's not yep. flashy, but what he's doing to me just kind of pulls you in immediately before the verse comes and the distortion is gone and it's more dreamy, but dark. 
Uh, yep. And yeah, he he just added so much, and they all do. Like you know, uh, Colin Edwin's fretless bass, uh, kind of uh, not particularly on this song, but just as a whole, was just so essential to the sound. Um, and uh, and also just like Barbieri's keyboards are, he, he's he's not a a kind of a synth player. He's he's a texture creator and that really elevates these albums the soundscapes that he creates around these songs there's it they're made for these songs like and, and there are just if you really sit down and listen and, and listen to what barbieri is doing richard barbieri who used to be in the band japan uh yeah. it's it's just it's a perfect it's a perfect match like him and stephen wilson absolutely meant to be together you know oh yeah like listen to a song like gravity eyelids like just like the beginning like it, it feels creepy like you feel like you're in like the basement of this like serial rapist creepy dude creepy dude and you can kind of like like i imagine the uh buffalo bill uh silence of the lambs type of thing going on it's so creepy and there's almost like it sounds like a choir but i know it's not a choir like the sound like mellotron mellotron yeah. kind of sound one of the uh the coolest things about seeing porcupine tree in smaller places was that you know when the applause was done you know the room was usually fairly quiet and it was just always kind of like a a hair raising moment for me every time the gravity eyelids intro just kind of gradually faded up and you kind of just feel it coming uh, when it was quiet and i kind of feel like maybe he waited until like applause was completely finished to start it because it was just it was so effective my heart that they they kind of stopped doing that song at a point because it was such a great 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 live song and i i'm thankful to have seen you know a lot of the songs that you know ended up getting dropped over the years uh but that was one just like when that song started every time it just you know for something moody and mysterious it just it was such a it, it was a mood piece you know and it just the room could feel it it was it was one of those right. things gravity eyelids one of my absolute favorites yeah, that's one of my highlights listed here. And I have to use this as a moment to talk about as well. It's funny, I read online, like doing a lot of research this week that Stephen mm -hmm. Wilson's lyrics kind of get a bit of a, the shaft. I don't hear it really. Like I I think he's really good at like Gravity Eyelids. Like when you really drill down to what it's about, it's about a, a guy drugging and raping a girl, but he doesn't write it so graphically. He writes it so well that it 
you know what's going on. Your brain will play the movie for you, but he doesn't use any words that kind of, I don't know, make it crass or anything. He's really good at painting a picture. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, and you'll find kind of, there, there are re recurring phrases uh, in time periods, uh, like the coil unwinding kind of yep. thing comes up in Gravity Eyelids and it comes up elsewhere as well. Um, and yeah, I think I think he's great with lyrics that way. Having said that, as much as I like Sound of Muzak, it's the one song lyrically that doesn't fit on the album for me. Like I, I get how it fits with the general theme, but so much of the album is serial killer mind or or edging on darkness that when the sound of music comes up it it just it doesn't feel right to me i feel like sound of music should have been b-side in my opinion having said that it's one of the most beloved porcupine tree songs ever in fact when i first got into the band sound of music was the song that everybody was raving about at the time Hear the sound of music drifting in the aisles Elevator Prozac stretching on for miles the Music of the future will not entertain It's only meant to repress and neutralize your brain probably throw one of the b-sides and there is a certain b-side that i'm sure we'll get to that he absolutely laments not putting on the album to to, to the point that every time i've seen him where he played it he prefaced it by saying i really fucked up by not putting this on in absentia uh it's obviously a song that he loves enough to have done it live as as much as uh as they have and it kind of it, it it ended up getting into their sets later uh, it was kind of after this whole period uh, that he went back and started playing Drown With Me with Porcupine Tree on stage. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, that's my only real nitpick. It took me a while to get into Wedding Nails just because it's instrumental. Um, yeah. But if, if, if it was up to me, I would trade Wedding Nails and Sound of Music for two of the B-sides. But, you know, having said that, that's me being very, very nitpicky about this. It's a it's a wonderful album. Yeah, I do want to preface my nitpick by saying that none of the albums we're talking about today are bad, and you couldn't go wrong with starting with any of them, honestly. I'd say start with one of these first two just because I think they're the easiest to grab onto, but you really can't go wrong with anything here. Now, having said that, and this is where the angry prog fans come for me, Trains is overrated. Interesting. Yes. I, I don't even know if you'd say... I don't even know if I, I would say prog... Well, prog's a label that he tries to away from yeah. but trains is i don't know it, I, it, it's closer to goo dolls than you know uh than really anything else yeah to me that or anything near prog you know 
Yeah, to me, it's the song, like, you said Sound of Music doesn't fit. To me, Trains doesn't fit. At least Sound of Music deals with, like, the homogenization and the humanity leaving music, kind of like the absence of humanity. Trains is just literally a song about trains. <laughs> so, and like, I don't yeah. know, I, I always find it weird. It's the second track on the album after you get, like, just bludgeoned by Blackest Eyes. Like, mm -hmm. I did warm up to it a little more this week. I really did try to, like, give the song its due and listen, like, because... Even in the in Ascension documentary, Stevens like I didn't expect that to be the song that became the one everybody loved. And I'm like you and mm -hmm. me both. So I really tried mm -hmm. to listen to it, and it's not bad. And I do love when the banjo kicks in. I think that's an interesting choice. But it just I don't know. It's a little lightweight for this album. Trying sad and much spite. Under the blind Shiny and contoured The railway winds And I've heard this sound From my cousin's bed The hiss of the train At the railway I, I, I do love Trains. What is interesting about it as a fan, Trains, uh, when they first went around on the tour, they did not play Trains. And I think a lot of the fans were like, why are you not playing Trains? And Trains became kind of at that point, for most of their career, their encore. Um, I think, did you ever see, uh, I, I probably mentioned it somewhere, there's a video on YouTube where it's a bunch of people or musicians from different countries performing trains, and then somebody edited them all together. I have not seen that, but I'm going to look that up after the show. That sounds awesome. I will send that to you. Watch that. It might change your mind. I, I think that, I do think Trains is a great pop song. Uh, I, I might agree that it doesn't end up or that it doesn't belong on the album. I, I absolutely agree that it shouldn't be track two. Um, it, it, I think that, I, I mean, if there is something else that he's guilty of, it's been succumbing to record company politics when they're like, Hey, there's not a single here. Um, they might've seen Crane the single and, you know, thrown it up on the, on the track list. But I mean, trains has become, kind of the important Porcupine Tree song. But uh, yeah, and I, I've seen him say in several interviews, there was actually one, uh, I can't remember if it was a documentary or if it was a live stream he did. And he was talking about, uh, you know, songs he's written. And he's like, um, and he goes off on this thing and he's like, and by the way, Trains is not the best Porcupine Tree song. It, uh, I don't care what anybody says. He's like, Trains is not the best. And it's he's like it's not even the best on in absentia, so he he's he's with you. But I I do think it's a great pop song. Um, yeah. And it's kind of it's always just been kind of a fun way to end a show, you know, for a show that's that's 
often dark and heavy having trains and you know the banjo clap along at the end um is always just kind of a fun way to end it in a show that isn't just like you throw your hands up in the air and have a good time trains kind of like it's it's kind of like a triumphant end uh so yeah. i do love it for that um uh yeah yeah interesting i didn't think you'd come at me with that take i don't know that i was prepared for that but, <laughs> but i do i do adore trains and and it's yeah. again it's it's from you know 20 years of it being a very kind of special song in in my trajectory with the right tree so and it might be for me like you said i don't let's, have let's see let's see what other hot takes you have today <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it might, I think around, be... you know what you've been hanging around Brian Lennon too long. I think that's the problem here. I'm starting <laughs> to get weird opinions like him. <laughs> I, I think there's going to be one that might upset people more than that one, but we'll see. Um, at least I'm I think... curious. I, I can't wait for the inevitable text I'm going to get that says, "Hey, I love trains, buddy." That's <laughs> that'll be the text I get from Brian Lennon the day this episode goes live. Probably, <laughs> uh, I will say say for one last thing for trains. You may be right because I haven't had oh, the live. Ex- <laughs> I may be crazy. Um, I haven't had the live experience, so I could see what you mean there. That's probably a lot of fun. And the other thing is, I always listen to it. Like I don't listen to these songs usually individually a lot. Like I listen as an album, so it has that no. curse of being tracked too. So that might be part of it as well. Um, and, yeah. and you know what? It didn't. It didn't jump out to me at the beginning. I mean, I liked the album, but Trains. I, I think Trains was a grower to me. Um, so, and and I was kind of shocked when when it became like the. I, I was shocked the first time I heard it live. I was like, oh, holy shit, they're playing Trains now, and it's the last song of this. What's going on? Um, but yeah, uh, uh, and I'm very curious to hear what the other hot take is. Oh, man. I, I almost want to fast forward there now. I, I, I'm, I'm getting nervous like Brian Lennon. <laughs> All right, I got some more highlights. I want to talk about, uh, we touched on it briefly, Creator has a master tape. I think that yep. song is brilliant with the distortion and yep. and the, like the, the drumming and Steven's vocals being kind of obscured by that like filter effect. Like it's it's such a horror movie. And the other two that I had in mind, uh, heart attack and a lay by just crushingly sad. And the thing about that one, I'll give you, we were talking about creating a mood and stuff. The one that the mood that I get from that one, the most is helplessness because mm-hmm. you, it's right there in the title of the song, heart attack and a lay by, you know, yeah. what's going on. And the character in the song, like that Steve is portraying, he's clueless. So, yeah. You're literally, it's literally like you're watching like a life flame out in front of you. It's very, he really captured that. Like, I, I am amazed that at his ability to like capture that emotion. Like, that is, that is talent. Like, I, 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 I was really shocked the first time I heard that. I think I, I remember listening to this album the first time and pausing after that, just going, Jesus Christ. Like, I thought, I thought the, the Raven was the saddest song. <laughs> I pull off the road East of Bollock and Ashford Feeling for myself In the light from the dashboard Hissing from the road The smell of rain in the air 
to this album when i was taking that late night walk it was along kind of like a you know semi-busy highway uh and heart attack and a lay by came on and it literally was like uh highway wasn't as busy at night and i'm listening to heart attack and a lay by with the occasional car going by and just the entire mood of it heart attack and a lay by was my favorite porcupine tree song for most of the 20 years and on some days probably still is but i, I mean jesus christ it's a the riches in this catalog it's it's difficult to narrow down but heart attack and a lay-by has always been a favorite um yeah i just i absolutely love that song and i think the way that uh it's such a delicate arrangement and the way that he uses the two notes from his vocal to give you the impression of like the ambulance yeah. uh, is is just brilliant um, and the way those things kind of uh, come in and out of the mix uh, is wonderful. Uh, Lay-by is, is is a highlight across the entire catalog. Absolutely. And the last one I've written down from the main track list, Collapse Light Into Earth. That vocal. Collapse Light Into Earth. So pretty. So haunting. Like, it's one of those songs that makes me jealous I can't play the piano very well because I would love to do a cover of that song. It's so pretty. and well, I'll be happy to send you a piano track because it is one of the Porcupine Tree songs that I can play. Ooh. So we, we can collaborate on a piano vocal thing for Collapse the Light into Earth. I would Ooh. absolutely love that. I think we should. Yeah, that, that, I think we that'll should. be great. Uh, not only will you get a podcast, you'll get a single, people. So that'll be awesome. Uh, That's right. Yeah, I, I really connected with that song this week. I never, I don't know what it was, but like maybe it's just because of all the stuff before it, but listening this week and listening a little closer, I was like, God, that song is gorgeous. Oh, oh, oh. 
and it's a perfect it, it is a perfect closer to the album and just like he's he's really good with last songs and and more often than not we get a ballad um as a last song this one is just beautiful and it's it's the it, it's the hopeful part of the album too like it, right. it it's not you know lyrically he he wrote it after 9 11 you know uh so the subject matter obviously not happy but it, it is a hopeful end to an album that is just full of the darkness in people's brains you know yeah yeah um oh yeah sorry i jumped the gun uh <laughs> yeah what's interesting um and just a very small sidetrack i was in a band throughout the 90s and the uh lead singer and uh who is a, a wonderful human yeah it, it was we were kind of like a blues band and but he loved moody blues and he loved later beatles and and you know psychedelic music and i always just try to steer us in that direction i was like you know nothing against the blues but you're so much you're you're so much better a songwriter than like you know a, a, a 12 bar blues like right. you have it in you you've shown me like you've written this group of songs and and we did an album together that came as close to that as as we possibly could and i was very happy about that but for a guy who he always would goof on kiss he, you know, because I was a Kiss fan at the time, he would all, always goof on any, you know, pop vocalist I was into. But the minute that I introduced him to Porcupine Tree, he's like, this is everything I've ever wanted to do. Like, he had the exact same review of it that I did. And it, he, I think from that moment on, like, Stephen Wilson just kind of, like, influenced his songwriting. He's like, every time I, like, do something, I think, like, how can I make this sound as interesting as a Porcupine Tree song? Uh, so, but the song that he loved the most from this record is Prodigal. Ooh. And it's kind of a, um, uh, it, it's got a really nice slide, uh, really cool harmonies and a, a little kind of heavy breakdown. Uh, I think, I think Prodigal is probably the sleeper on the album. Uh, they didn't perform it live very much because it didn't work very well live. I don't think I've ever, I, I know I've never seen it live. Um, and I don't want to kind of give any spoilers uh, to things that might happen further down the line, but I also just did want to add that when they toured in absentia, the songs that they did not play on the tour were Lips of Ashes, Dot Three, and Collapse the Light into Earth. Um, so, uh, but Prodigal hardly ever, it was played maybe a few times, if that, and, and a couple times later on, but...
uh, and Strip the Soul was the single. There's a video really? for Strip the Soul. Uh, yeah, if you look wow. for stuff, that was the first single. It's an edit. Uh, Stephen Wilson's got pretty short hair in it. Uh, everybody at the time was like, wait, is this the new look? And I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm new to this game. You tell me. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a video out there for Strip the Soul. There aren't a whole lot of Porcupine Tree videos, but there is there is one for that. They make brief appearances in it. It's pretty much kind of like a suspended uh, 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 woman and, and just kind of like artsy. Uh, other people could probably describe it much, much better than I just did. But uh, yeah, Strip the Soul was the single. Interesting. And I will say yep. the first a weird time choice. I, yeah. And the first time I saw a picture of early Stephen Wilson, I was like, oh wow. <laughs> like that that those oh, boy. those locks were luscious. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. You have like the the 94 literally haired down to his ass walking around like Crystal Gale. Or yeah. you have like the 2000 uh super skinny wearing a half shirt. He's definitely gone through some some periods of for a guy that's kind of just like I don't know, fairly, I don't want to say normal. I, I, I don't know that there's anything about his stage appearance that would like stand out other than the kind of Megan calls them witchy hand movement movements yep. that he does. <laughs> um, uh, uh, he, he looks kind of unassuming. But then you go back to like those early things and it's just like, wow, I, I, dude wearing a half top on stage. Um, yeah, but uh, enough of my sidetracking. Yeah, we were was... going to talk about B-sides. Yeah, yes, we were. So thank you, by the way, for compiling them and sending them to me. I really appreciate that. I Quite welcome. I now have an album on my iPod that says The Creator's Master Tape, and it's all the B-sides. So uh, we're going to talk about those right now. Uh, Drown With Me. incredible song how the hell did that get left off the album uh um, that's that's the one every yeah. every time i've seen him when he plays it he's like and it's, it's so good the studio version's so good the harmonies oh on the kind of on the hook are are great and it just gets you right off the bat the the, the 12 string acoustic oh man it's so good it's so good like i listened to it and i was like this is the shit he's like tossing aside like it's just one of those bands where like the B sides are as good, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, the Drown with Me is one that I absolutely, absolutely love. And they started at, to play that in a, a couple tours later. It was at that moment I decided he upon hearing that song we weren't going to do a top tracks for the album because I will not be able to narrow it down because that song and this next one, Chloroform, which the vibe on Chloroform 
the the hand drums or whatever they are like i think there's hand drums on there so there's something on there that's i like think so really percussive and cool and like the mm. smoky creepiness the 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 floatiness the drugginess like it feels like the precursor to gravity eyelids it's so good i'm just like this motherfucker is like prince <laughs> this is like like it's like erotic city like what the hell yeah It's weird you should mention Gravity Eyelids because even though Strip the Soul was the first kind of single, the first teasers I remember them putting out on their website, and they were, I don't know, it was 2002, probably quick time videos, you know, very oh, low res. Was... Yeah, there was uh, the first taste I think they gave of the album was Gravity Eyelids and Chloroform as a kind of bonus track. Now, I can only, the interesting thing about Chloroform, it's on the 2LP version that was released at that time. Chloroform yep. comes after the creator has a master tape uh, and only on that original pressing. My guess is that, and this is only a guess, I don't I don't know that uh, I've ever seen anything to this extent. Uh, Chris Maitland co-wrote Chloroform, which makes me think that mm -hmm. might be why it didn't make the album. Uh, it might have been something they were working on before the album. And then, you know, Gavin came along. I don't really know yeah. where it falls in terms of where they recorded it, but those two and and those two were were released on CD. Uh, In Absentia was released in the uh, EU as a two CD edition with the strip the soul video, I think too. But those two tracks, I think that was the first like CD appearance of them. Both of them so good. And and, and what I was saying earlier, I would take off Wedding Nails and I would take off uh, Sound of Music and I would put Drown with Me and Chloroform in. And I fat in fact I think I did that around that time. I think I burned a CDR. That was like uh, my my preferred in absentia. That's awesome. Yeah, that song is so cool. And I, I would kick off Wedding Nails and Trains. <laughs> it's tough. That's tough. It, it really is. It really is, man. Uh, and I will say- but I would totally move Trains to like an EP. Like I, yeah. I think th there's actually a single, like a standalone single that falls here before between in absentia and Dead Wing. I think Trains would have been a great standalone single. I think it sounds different enough from the rest of their stuff that it could have worked there 
maybe better than the one that actually was released, uh, which we'll get into. But yep. uh, yeah, I mean, I can see it. I do love trains, but but I can absolutely see where it doesn't fit. And it's this is a recurring theme we're going to keep hitting. <laughs> it's interesting you pointed out. Like, I didn't know Chloroform was co-written by Chris Maitland. Because um, mm-hmm. one thing I forgot to mention is I do see little, just little flourishes of the past, like of like the light bulb sun, stupid dream sound in this album, and that song you can hear it in that that one a little bit. But I do think after this, like hard cut off, hard cut off from that kind of like moodier, moody that at least that type of moody stuff, like that, like, yeah, yeah. And then the last two, I believe, we got uh, Orchidia and Futile too very wonderful intense instrumentals yeah orchidia um it, it shows up in a, a few places so there was a, a a futile promo single that that's the single that the standalone single futile it wasn't just a b-side it was a a promo single service to radio as a kind of let's write a heavy song for radio um the interesting thing about that is the promo single had Orchidia. It was it was very widely coveted when it first came out, um, and I never got my hands on one. Uh, but uh, they did release it kind of as uh, like an extended um, download in 2006 that had um, some other stuff, and I might as well bring it up. Uh, it had Collapse, which is uh, an intro. Uh, that I think was supposed to kick off the album, and it was a a more sparse and different verse from Collapse the Light into Earth. Um, and that's on there, and also a version of Hate Song from Lightbulb Sun that was recorded at my first show. Um, wow. And and a lot of those things are probably still out there to purchase from Burning Shed, if I if I if I would guess. Um, but yeah, futile, futile is is the one. I, I don't know. It never quite grabbed me. I I like it, but I think it's it's a step down from in, in absentia. Like it didn't grab me like the in absentia stuff is. But the chorus is pretty hooky. Um, but it, but it's obviously uh, uh, showing them going like even harder into metal riffs yeah. than there were on in absentia. Like it, it it's heavier than in absentia. Um, yeah. And I also have an interesting story about Futile that'll figure later on into the show. Um, awesome. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's the B sides. Nice. And the last thing we have for an absentia, Craig's. I'm calling it Craig's live live experiences. So talk about the uh, in absentia run. Uh, yeah. So I saw that July. It was July 26, 2002, was my first show before in absentia came out at the TLA in Philly. And the only other one I saw on this tour was July 20th, 2003, uh, which Jesus Christ just hit the 20th anniversary of the other day. Um, And that one was a co-headline with Opeth. So they did, they both did shorter sets. I think instead of like, Trey was probably doing an hour and a half at that point. And this was maybe like 75 minutes. This is the first time I saw Trains. Um, uh, Yeah, it was a 12 song set. Uh, A lot... uh, Interestingly, uh, went back to some free uh, Stupid Dream stuff for this show. Oh, um, really? At least in, in one case, yeah. They did uh, The Moon Touches Your Shoulder from The Sky Moves Sideways. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, and and it was... Seeing them open... Like, the, the first three songs of this show 
might be the it they've released so much since then it's hard to say this definitively but it is hard to think of a better one two three opening punch than blackest eyes he's moved on gravity eyelids i was i might have been in tears um and they also did fade away which is uh from uh up the downstair so for for a shortened set where they're only doing 12 songs they went back further than stupid dream which i was not expecting at the time and probably was still a little unfamiliar with some of that stuff uh at the time too but yeah and and then i was completely in i did just want to mention and there's also one other b-side that that comes up and um, i am mentioning it here for a reason i just kind of want to mention the uh and and look there are tons there are tons of things like one-off things that he released through the website through the fan club when when there has been or like the street team literally tens and tens and tens of like one-off tracks i will not get into those because there are so many but i do want to get into things that were released from the tour or things that were released between in absentia and deadwing or, or things that cover that time period and i'll do it yes. very quickly um there were two cds released uh uh xm and xm2 and these were in studio uh recordings they did for xm uh i think it's xm radio um, yeah. and uh, those were released in 2003, 2005. They're great. Eight songs each. You get to hear the songs. It, for a while, it was the only place you could get a live version of Gravity Eyelids live in terms of them playing it live, not in front of an audience. Um, of course, in uh, 2007, they released uh, acoustic sessions to the street team. Uh, in 2009, one of the B-sides called Meantime came out, and Meantime was a uh, an unreleased song from In Absentia that showed up on a promo CD of songs pre-cleared for film. This is probably more your department uh, in terms of uh, uh, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, another thing, and you could not get your hands on it for under hundreds of dollars if you even ever saw one. They were like in-house CDRs, I think. And that was, he finally released it as a download in 2009, and it also ended up on the, uh, the In Absentia box set, as all of the B-sides did, plus some demos. And maybe at the end, I just kind of have a thought about the demos, not going to get into any, but I have an overarching thought about them. Um, In Absentia was remastered in 2017, the original sounds very compressed, the new, that's the remaster you got there? Yep, K-Scope. Yep. Sounds amazing. Uh, And weighted so long for it uh, uh it actually came out in 2020 but it was remastered in 2017 and uh then during the pandemic he started up a porcupine tree Bandcamp page where he put up some rarities and live stuff and i was like what like why now of course later on we might find out why but um there was a <laughs> wonderful show from house of blues uh from that tour which uh, came out during the pandemic, but was also released on vinyl uh, July of 2021. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, because there wasn't a live, um, a full live show released. All the other tours got like a live show DVD. Uh, there was nothing for this. So it was nice that they, they finally put something out that covered this time period. And you get a live version of Gravity Islands, which I had waited for at that point for a good 18, 19 years. <laughs> nice. Love it. 
So I I think in conclusion, In Absentia, fantastic album, fantastic start to the new era, fantastic start Mm -hmm. to this lineup. I adore this record. Great starting place if you want to check out this band. Love it. After that, In Absentia comes out. It's one of Porcupine Tree's. It is their biggest release up to that point. It does really well for them. And they follow it up on March 24th, 2005 with Deadwing. one i listen to the most um this is the it one is, that... it's tied for me yes it's it's yeah. i agree a lot of people disagree with me i think dead wing is fantastic yeah i don't get what what the uh it doesn't necessarily get hate but it doesn't exactly get the praise that the albums that sandwich it do which is surprising to me um this Pretty... kicked open the door in my brain like you ever have one of those moments in your life where you hear something for the first time and because of the effect on you, you literally remember everything around you. Mm-hmm. I, I remember the day this album came in the mail. I remember pulling it out of the plastic. This is a, there's, this is a, a lava copy. I got this off eBay. Pulling it out, out of the wrapping and the bubble wrap and putting it in. It was a cloudy day in March, I believe. And I had some Starbucks and I put it in and the title track kicks in and something everything all of a sudden everything just came together with the vocals and the lyrics and i was like "Ooh, this is good and then track two hits and it's even heavier and then lazarus mm-hmm. comes on and i'm just like okay th- i i'm in love with this album this is this is so fucking good and i finally understood porcupine tree my or at least my brain didn't i don't know how to put that into any other words they're just sometimes it takes a moment for you to fully grasp something and this is when i finally got porcupine tree was hearing this album this year yeah the similar story i have is like i i was at this point i was so in this is the first album really that comes out when i am you know dedicated so i'm waiting for this 
uh, and the version that um, when it was released, it came out, a special edition came out in a hard hardback book with a, uh, a CD and a, uh, a surround DVD audio of it. Uh, and it's at this point where Ian jumped off. And oh. to this day, and and even even recently, I'll mention any of, the, any of these albums and he's like, eh. and I, I'm convinced he listened to them once and listened to them under not good circumstances because there's there's no way that if you like in absentia and you dig porcupine tree that any of the albums that we're going to talk about are something you would consider bad or something you would never want to listen to again that makes absolutely no sense to me it's not like they took a crazy turn the songwriting got better the arrangements got better uh and and arguably the themes in terms of like a cohesive whole as an album better um so yeah i'll never understand it but I, this is always tied for number one with another one that we'll get to. Uh, and I, I absolutely echo your sentiments. I can't understand. I think for for as bigged up as In Absentia is, I think there are songs on here, like I think the highs are higher. And that's saying a lot because In Absentia has got some highs. But there are there's a stretch on this record that contains what I think are some of their absolute best songs and and just this is the moment in porcupine tree where i started to pick out little arrangement tricks that caught my ear and i was like i i see what they're doing there and i like it and i'll, I'll probably bring a few up um but yeah completely with you on this and i'm glad to hear you say that because yeah. i feel like i've been fighting i've been fighting the dead wing battle for years and people are, I mean, it's it's okay, but it's not in absentia. Have you listened to it? Right. You know, and and maybe maybe it's also colored by my live appearances because it definitely cemented my love for some songs, seeing them live. Uh, and there are some funny stories around that too. So, back to you, Deadwing. Oh yes, and oh my God, he changed shirts. <laughs> we took a little break, people, <laughs> and he changed shirts. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was going to see if I could if I could cycle through all my shirts in the given time, uh, <laughs> depending on how many breaks we take. <laughs> oh man, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I really got to say, like th this to your to your credit, this started because you got the Deadwing, the new Deadwing box set that came out, and you were posting about enjoying it and i'm just like and i kind of like it was like i want to hear it but like i don't i don't want to go all in on that box set so let me hunt this down and give it a try and yeah this is where it all made sense and it's also a concept album again but a little different yeah. i don't fully understand the concept here but i believe it's about this guy that's kind of been scarred because he lost his mom to some religious cult mass suicide yeah. thing like I read a bit of the script and it's very David Lynch. It's very David Lynch. Yes. And I I and, love David Lynch, so I want to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. And 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 they're kind of kicking it back up under a different title. Uh yeah. now. There was actually a, a a trailer film that you can find out there, and Stephen Wilson uh has a cameo in it that's kind of amusing. Um the um I, at the time, I just heard it described as kind of like a ghost story. And I think in the Deadwing documentary, I think even the rest of the band is like, yeah, I never even read the script. I don't know what it's about. Like, they're all <laughs> very, very just eh, whatever, whatever you wanted to do. We're just playing music, which I thought was pretty funny. But yeah, um, yeah go ahead. 
Yeah, I I got that vibe from watching the Dead Wing documentary. Like I I think maybe Richard said he read he read a bit of it, but it right, was, right. Yeah, then Gavin's like, I didn't read the script script, and it wouldn't have influenced the way I play drums on these anyways. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do love how droll they can be. You know? uh, I yeah, sidebar, they are wonderful in these two documentaries, the In Absentia and Dead Wing documentaries. They are just mm-hmm. wonderfully English in the way they conduct themselves. Like one of my favorite moments in the In Absentia one is Steve is praising this manager or guy this label that helped sign them in the US and like, you know, get them exposure. And then Richard comes on and goes, Well, managers have been terrible to me. Not not, not a good one in the lot. Like whether it's yeah. Korea, Porcupine Tree, there's not been a good one. And just like I love it. Or like Gavin calling Steven, like what what did he call him? Like they bleep it out. So I'm not exactly sure. But Yeah, what was your first impression of Steven? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's arrogant something. Yeah, er, er, uh, arrogant cunt probably I don't know. Probably. I, 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 and the thing is, uh, like when these were announced, I was super excited because like, where are you going to get a, a porcupine tree documentary? When the, when the in absentia box came out and it said, it also includes an hour and a half documentary. I was like, what? And then Deadwing came out and there's another documentary. And I was like, please, I, God damn, do I hope they continue doing these through the yeah. rest of the catalog and oh, then yeah. start over again from the beginning. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, the box and the, the other thing about it is uh as i had mentioned before it was remastered in 2017 but did not come out until last year deadwing is the original deadwing is responsible for the worst production uh, compression sound in the porcupine tree catalog it is compressed to absolute hell the new version we need to get you one is beautiful it it it's finally and and Deadwing was like the last one to be remastered. Like he's gone through all the early albums. He's gone through the B sides. There's a box set that just came out or came out a few years ago of all the early stuff with another disc of all the B sides. And um, by the time the next album comes around, his mastering style kind of went to uh, as little compression as possible. So. Yeah. Most of these albums really breathe, and in Absen- what he did to In Absentia and Deadwing uh, to, to remaster them and kill the compression absolutely made those albums 10 times better, and they were already genius. So I do reckon, and I think they just maybe released uh, uh, Deadwing as a standalone, the mm-hmm. remix, or the, uh, not remix, goddamn, thank God I caught myself, the remaster. I hate when I listen to podcasts and people confuse the two, even if they know the difference and just kind of slip in the tongue. Yeah. Um, uh, I just don't like putting false info out there when it comes to stuff like this. But uh, yeah, the remaster is wonderful, and we'll we'll get you one. You need you need one. I definitely do need to get one. Um, so yeah, let's get into some highlights here. Um, I'm gonna save a certain one for last because it's my what I consider possibly it ties with another is my por- favorite Porcupine Tree song. But first up, Lazarus. <laughs> of my world the silence broke
gorgeous ballad that is oh my god like that yeah. song chills like the first time i listened to it i, I was like I, I i just my jaw was on the floor because it feels like a song that you know as uncommercial as this music is it's not this is not pop music mm-hmm. that that could be a song that like you could play for anyone and they could get into and it's so well written and that melody my david don't you worry bridge this cold world is nothing oh my god yeah ian ian hated lazarus and it was at that point i probably should have ended my friendship with him uh it because i i understand that like ballads may not be your thing but it's 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 beautiful and he loved it steve wilson loved it so much he re-recorded it uh in his solo catalog and brought it out on quite a few tours uh post porcupine tree uh lazarus just beautiful there's a video for that as well if you haven't seen it um that was uh that was the first or the the single from this album and yeah from the first time i heard it i was like just and even just that that piano riff on the chorus just running up and down oh it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful yeah you can you can tell he loves elton john when you listen to this song Mm. oh yeah also just because i have I, i i take any opportunity to do this i can coldplay wishes they could write something that good anyways um I feel the same way. I get that argument from people as well. I I, I don't know. I yeah, I feel the same. Uh, I, I just feel like so. I'm sure in your version of Hell, they're playing Honey Don'ts and Keel. In my version of Hell, they're playing Coldplay and U2. <laughs> All right, I'll take some U2. Uh, but <laughs> I, I I as a guy who lived through all of U2, uh, uh, there's a point where i'm like okay yeah i'm on your side sly dogs halo which is another one that like that was one i remember that coming on just being like oh my god what is this like i do have a tendency to love songs where people take down religion because it deserves it Mm -hmm. but man it's so well well written kind of speaks it speaks in you know god is this god is that yep. so cool and then the, that chorus hits hard i got a halo around me i got a halo around me oh i love 
I love it. I love the guitar playing on that one and the drumming. And again, not and, a, that, and yeah, God, not a lot of keys, but a lot of little like noises and stuff. Yeah, here Barbieri's got the 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 nice little sound effects on this, and the uh, the breakdown. Um, and then just going into that screaming guitar solo. Halo oh also, oh, it's so good. Um, but yeah, this is uh, probably listening to the album. This is the the first hook that really kind of hit me over the head. Um, uh, which is not to say that I didn't love this album on first listen, but when Halo came around, I was like, oh, holy shit. Um, and I, I do have a, a funny story. One of the shows I saw on this tour in New York was the only time I ever saw Stephen Wilson forget a lyric. Um, and he like messed up the beginning of the chorus and then, and then followed it with, um, I'm the same as you. Cause I've seen that. I'm getting in. I'm getting in. Uh, I'm not the same as you. And I forgot the words. I can't believe it. <laughs> only time I ever saw him forget a, a lyric and he, uh, and he, had to absolutely make note that he did and it was maybe i don't know 30 seconds before the show ended and uh, barely made it and uh yeah just a member every time i hear this song i can't hear it without thinking that lyric in my head that's forgot so the cool. words i can't fucking believe it i want to find a recording of that show so badly i've never been able to find one so that was the closer that night then interesting yeah it actually it, it might have been Actually, Blank Planet tour. It was one of the shows that closed with Halo. It actually was Blank Planet because it's one I saw in New York. Mellotron Scratch. A tiny flame inside my so cool so well put together and it would not be a porcupine tree album without some mellotron and now he's worked it into the song he he kind of calls this out in the dead wing documentary is like one of his best yep and i agree I, I mean i think the whole thing's beautiful but and this is one of those arrangement tricks you got like right before it goes into the end part with the harmonies, you get this dun 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 that keeps going in, in kind of threes and and then they come in at the end with that still going, but black into black. It's like it's like a three over a four. The way that they pull it off is is so good. Um and and when that end part comes in with the harmonies, it's so beautiful. Uh, Mellotron Scratch is one of my absolute favorites. I feel like it's often one that I have to kind of fight for yeah. uh, because I do feel it, it, it's kind of gotten lost. But yeah, he, when I heard him say that on the documentary, I was like, absolutely. I'm so glad you're saying that uh, because it it was it's another one of those. It was only performed a few times and, they, and then they stopped. Uh, 
yeah, I, I love Meltron Scratch. So cool. Um, open car. I, I love this one a lot. I don't know how it fits in the story, but I think it's really cool. Nothing like this, felt in a kiss, couldn't resist her. Fell for her charm, lost in her arms. I keep a photograph, give me a glimpse, let me come in, be there inside her. Here it begins, here is the sin, something to lie about. He says in the documentary what songs were part of the story, and I was surprised that this one was, uh, because uh, first of all, it it wasn't supposed to be on the album. It replaced a B side, and uh, so I always just thought it was kind of like a spare song they put on because it was a hooky. Um, but apparently, that's not the case. Yep. Yeah, and I love the mood of this one. It really does capture like if you've ever had a quick hookup with someone that kind of like anxious like quick vibe like you know you've just been inside someone staring at their butthole and and now you what do you what the fuck do you do now you've been staring at their leather bagel what do you do now you have these scripted no but no but i i I did plan to like talk about the awkwardness of the song and i'm like yeah leather bagel let's bust that one out because you did send me a text when you were listening to it and you said head blown in an open car i really thought that's what it said lends itself to such great podcast fodder and i was like actually it's hair blown in an open <laughs> car um but also uh, uh, yeah Mara, very lucky woman uh to, <laughs> to to have a man with such vocabulary megan should be jealous in fact i'm i'm working on it and i'll, I'll never get to your <laughs> levels but i'm but i'm trying leather bagel you say yes <laughs> yeah there, there's one for you um and, and also <laughs> This just got added back to the set list. These last few shows they played this year, they they put this back in. Hey, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I watched a video of them doing it last night at some festival uh, a month ago. It sounded great. Oh, oh, the festival shows, right, 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 right. Oh, now I'm gonna have yeah. to look. Yeah, it was, um, I do have a. Yeah, go ahead. It was kind of weird because the bass player had to be out, so there was no bass player on stage. They were playing right with, with the bass on tape, but it man, Steven is just ripping it up. <laughs> like he's he's bouncing around that stage. I'm like. Yeah, I um, it's kind of uh, so so the shows on the the opening part of the tour opened with Deadwing, which I love. 
that's another one that Gavin was like, yeah, we can't open with this anymore. Like this is too much. Um, and they, uh, when they came around, uh, the second time for this tour, which was, I don't know, maybe like five, six months later, uh, Deadwing was no longer the opener. Uh, it had been relegated to like the fourth spot. Um, and there's no release, no live release that has Deadwing, which also upsets me because I want at least one live version of every song. Uh, that's me. However, I do have a funny story about this. Uh, the, uh, and we can, we can come back to, to the album and the B-sides. Uh, I, I saw three shows on this tour. The first one I saw was at the Stone Pony, May 14th, 2005. There's footage of this in the Deadwing documentary. I am literally, I'm in the front row and covered up in every shot. Like, I can't tell you. <laughs> It took, me, it took me four hours the first time I watched that documentary because every time there was crowd footage, because I, I actually remember being in Asbury Park in the front row and a guy like with a video camera behind Richard. And also, I do remember video cameras outside. So when they show these like fast motion shots down the line of people, it like a memory came back and I was like, holy shit. Like, I remember being at Porcupine Tree shows waiting in line and some dude with video camera was going around. Um, so I was sure I would see myself uh, in there somewhere. I have not spotted myself yet. That show, they did Glass Arm Shattering, which is the last song on this album. It's the only time I ever saw them do it, and they only did it a handful of times. But to see them, it, it literally, if the stage was a foot off the ground, that was maybe an exaggeration. I was in the front. It was the closest I've ever been. It was literally like, standing in front of me and uh glass arm shattering was great they the one song that they did not play uh on the first leg of this tour was open car Ooh. so um uh they did Mellotron scratch a few times and everything else they, they kind of did all the time uh i also saw them uh may 21st 2005 at the trocadero in philly um and uh we got uh fade away from up the downstair, which was very nice. Ooh. However, they come back around September 2005. And uh, at this point, I'm I'm taping shows. They no longer allow tapers. Um, but at that point, tape trading was fairly, uh, you know, fairly prominent. Yeah. And uh, so that show was at the Keswick Theater, which is kind of like, it, it's a theater like on a city block. Like it's next to a restaurant or something. There's a bar across the street uh, where every time I've seen them at the Keswick, I've decided not to go to. And then the next morning I thought, oh, yeah, we hung out with Steven all night at the bar. Uh, never been that lucky. Uh, but my memory of this specifically was uh, my girlfriend and I, she was driving. We were late for some reason. And we're kind of driving around and pulling in front. And I hear them playing open car. And I was just like, I don't. I don't know that I can forgive you for this. Like, <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever see this song again. Like they didn't play this last time. She was like, you need to calm the fuck down. Um, which is uh, why I'm with Megan now, because she would be like, you know what? You're, you're right. And you have a right to be upset. Um, but, uh, but yeah, open car ended up opening the, the second leg of the tour and becoming a huge, uh, a huge song for them that they kept around for a while. Uh, open car. I love It's another one of those that's just like it's got three distinct things I love about it like the verse vocal yeah vocal following it 
the pre-chorus goes into this kind of, uh, like a uh, shimmery with harmonies. I've got a feeling I'm hiding too well. But then goes into a chorus which is power chords. Dun, dun, dun. It's one of the best choruses he's ever wrote, if not just for that that D minor down to the B flat. Oh my god! Yeah. Every time I've seen it live, it's blown me the fuck away. Um, I, I, when I first thought about it, I was like, I don't know about open car as an opener, but god damn, is it good? Uh, there's also a a live DVD they put out from this tour uh, called Arriving Somewhere, and it opens that. And if anybody hasn't seen it, you have to. It's so good. Uh, open car is just great. Uh, sorry to sidetrack it with with tour stuff, but I had to take that open car opportunity. But back to the album. That that's all right. That was great, and you actually gave me a great segue to talk about the song I've been the most excited to talk about, arriving okay. somewhere, but not here. On the smashing windscreen of a car. Stop a car, never stop your car in the dark. I was like, Oh, and that, that shows now. The, yeah, the hairs on my from, arms are standing up. Just oh from you saying the lyric, Oh my yeah, god, it's, yeah, it's, it's oh, like they have some masterpieces. This is one of them, yes, no question, no question. 
absolutely like you feel again you kind of feel like you're watching a horror movie and you can't do anything about what's about to happen but something terrible is happening in this song and it's so well composed the verses and then steven's like haunting little oh, oh, arriving somewhere but not here and it just slowly builds and builds and builds so you get to the big metal riff and you're just like it's so overwhelmingly and wonderful. That's one of the things, that's one of the arrangement things I love. So it goes into the... But then, like, while that's going on, you get the boom. The opening riff heavier. And when they do things like that, that aren't always obvious. When they bring back a piece a little differently or on a different instrument, or in this case distorted in the middle of this big cacophony that the previous parts of the song were not when they lay the opening riff on top of that those are the moments at a porcupine tree show where you will nearly bust into tears like you can feel it go through the crowd it's it's amazing the other moment in this song uh before the final verse after the whole instrumental break when it breaks down to just and uh the you know the gavin drum bit with the um you know the, the guitar solo being played over it uh which um uh, uh 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 live once that section is done and it goes back into the final verse and all the lights go back on another one of those moments did you see the red mist block your path that's so good did the scissors cut away to your heart oh my god the lyrics are so great uh this this is just i could talk about this song alone for the for the duration of this podcast it's another one of those i don't if you if you listen to this and you're not moved i, I don't understand it i just don't you don't have a pulse and brad we need yeah. a, I, we need a, i'm in love with that song breakdown where you isolate shit like like we need that type of breakdown of the song he won't do it. There's too much going on in it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Wait, is he listening? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he will listen to this one or not. Who, who, who knows? He doesn't uh, listen to stuff with me. <laughs> is, is it because he made a listen to Sergeant Pepper? Uh, maybe. Entirely <laughs> so. Um, but the, the other track, uh, if, if I may, there's another track I want to chat about right quick. Yeah, one last thing on arriving well, somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember the day I got the album like being blown away with it and like playing it a bunch of times over and over again like you do. And then that night um, I had to run some errands and I live in San Diego and it's an urban area, but there's also like kind of like an area where it's like very, I don't want to say forest because it's not a forest, but it's very tree heavy, very twisty, windy road. And I was driving that road at night and this song started to play and it just it just felt so appropriate and so creepy. Like, cause like, there's not a lot of streetlights where I was. It's just the headlight of the cars. Like this is like I, that just burned the song in my brain forever. Yeah. Back when I used to do open mics, I used to meet a friend of mine uh, uh, in Princeton, which is in Jersey. And I was living in Philly at the time. And I used to get together with him uh, and then kind of drive back home and do open mics and, I have such memories of driving empty stretches of road, listening to arriving somewhere, but not here and not even on purpose. 
Like I just, I had a, I had a mix CD in the car at the time, Porcupine Tree Mix, that I went to great lengths to create segues for, and the track transitions were fantastic. And I need, I need to recreate it someday. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, same memory, and not even on purpose, but like there's something about that song when you are on a quiet road in the middle of the night, and, and I'm, I'm driving roads that that don't have lights. Uh, so yeah, just what, what a mood song. And, and it's another one that just became tremendously important in Porcupine Tree catalog. You'll get, you'll get at least, you'll get, you'll get a couple of them as we go. But this is, when, when you got Deadwing, I was like, that's the song that's going to do it for him. Like if, if yep. he's got any doubt in his mind, as soon as he hears arriving somewhere, but not here, he's in. Yeah. Yep. There we go. All right. What was Fantastic. the song we're going to talk about? Uh, the other song that uh, on this that I think is amazing is the start of something beautiful. another one of those things where um there's like a mellow section in the middle where it introduces this really clean guitar riff dun, 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 dun. um and that goes on for a little while and then all of a sudden when you least expect it everything fucking kicks in and that is the guitars all... it's so good it's so good and that's another song that's just got when 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 that song kind of cuts to the second section 
it's got much like Mellotron Scratch, it's got just a beautiful thing that happens, and then that whole thing kicks up. And I think I only even put the start of something beautiful, maybe just one notch below arriving somewhere, but not here. I, I and I've seen it. I think set list placement has something to do with it too. And I, I, I also think there's something real interesting on these albums, uh, kind of like the second to last track is often very interesting. Um, and the start is something, because it's usually the one that comes before the ballad. It's usually got some kind of oomph to it. Um, and the start is something beautiful, kind of starts off unassuming. Um, and it's got a chorus that kind of kicks up a little bit, but that bit at the end, it's, I, I think the end distorted bit is as great as the, the distorted bit in arriving somewhere, but not here. I think it's absolutely genius. Uh, if anybody hasn't, if anybody's sleeping on that song, uh, please dive into it. It's, it's another masterpiece in my opinion. Yeah. You just, you just made me want to go re-listen to that song. So I will definitely have to do that. It's so good. If I did have one thing to say about this album, that's my, um, uh, I don't know if, uh, uh, well, uh, Shallow is obviously written as a rock single, much yeah. like Futile. It's it's another song that I, I don't know. I don't know that it fits. Um, they stopped playing it fairly quickly. Uh, I think that, I think the fan base, I think this is the first time I, I, I kind of saw the fan base going like, yeah, they're going for a single and it kind of doesn't fit. Um, and I think he's even, he's copped to it too. Um, it's not a secret, but, um, you know, I think uh, I, I, Shallow just doesn't fit to me in terms of flow. I do love it yeah. as a song. I think it. I think it's a great song. Um, and it's another one that's just got those sections that were really heavy and, you know, really nice, uh, beautiful parts. So uh, that that's my only criticism with it as an album. And it's it's not a deal breaker at, yeah, at not all. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's just another fortunate thing where it happens to come second. Like after yeah. Deadwing, I mean, oh. maybe it makes sense because it's, it's, Shallow is heavy, but it's a shorter breather after Deadwing. I, I don't know what else you would put there, really. Um, so maybe in that case, it does make sense, but it just, I don't know, it just kind of never really fit for me. Um, uh, yeah, so back to you. Well, to transition to the B sides, I think that so-called friend could have been their big rock single. I think that song is brilliant. Friend's great. It's well-written. It's, I find it catchy. I think that song, like when that came on in that B-side mix this week, I was just like, what the fuck is this? And why is it not on the album? Holy shit. It's good.
so-called friend was replaced on the album by open car interesting yeah in fact if you have the dvd audio uh which came out back then um you know as you watch the dvd audio or listen to it there are visuals on the screen and there's another thing where they kind of I think I think it's Steven and maybe one other band member per song give um their thoughts on each song. And open car is not even in there. It's it's so-called friend. Uh Ooh. so they like did that before the change. The DVD was authored, I suppose, or not part of it. I don't know. They just never went back to fix it, whatever it was. Um, but uh yeah, that was supposed to be on the record. Now I would replace shallow with it, but I don't know where it would go i don't know that it would work second maybe it would um but yeah so-called friends is just a, 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 another great rocker i think eh, there's another b-side here that's pretty great but uh oh, in yeah. terms of b-sides it's 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 up there it's up there with their best b-sides absolutely yep. and let's talk about the other one that was potentially replacing another track on the album half light Such a pale light Such a long night Pick up that key Drop your gaze in your coffee Is it me? song i like glass arm shattering but i would have been perfectly fine with this on the album yeah half light was um it, and it's another one that he played uh a lot uh, or they played a lot kind of in tours after this i think this is the one that he recommends he absolutely says in the documentary that he should have put this on instead of glass arm shattering yeah. the, the only reason glass arm shattering made it was because it was a band crack Whereas Half Light was written by him. And I think that, you know, it was kind of a concession. Um, and I get it. Like, this this is the album where uh, they start to use, and I, they do this even with In Absentia. If you listen to some of his demos, they are the takes that are on the album just replaced with uh, the Porcupine Tree musicians. Um, if you listen to some of his demos, you will hear what is absolutely the final vocal track, not a difference. Absolutely the guitar solo that ended up on the record. Um, and in, in the case of the Deadwing album, a lot of his bass tracks survived. So Colin's only on half the album, maybe. Uh, yeah, Stephen Wilson's, uh, uh, I don't know if it listed here. Uh, it just, it just says bass. Um, and of course we have, um, 
uh, other guest appearances here and and we'll you know there are some elsewhere through the catalog we can't even get into all of them yeah but um you have like adrian Ballou, you have alex lightson uh there are some people you know throwing great guitar solos down with some of this stuff but yeah dead wings the one where it's kind of and i think maybe because of that fact maybe he maybe glass arm shattering was given placement because so much of his original demos are still part of the structure of the album but even having said that i i and i love glass arm shattering great memory just because i saw it live and it was rare but half light it probably should have been half light it's yeah it's a fantastic song yeah. and when they would play it live you would play this guitar that had a uh like a video screen on it that would show oh. like kind of these ripples and shit that's on the uh you'll well we'll get into that it's it's on one of the dvds um that's uh and they yeah oh, it's it's so good it's so good when that was introduced into the set i was very very happy very cool um we got two instrumentals renovant and uh mother and child divided uh not bad um i the like i'm not really like one for a lot of instrumentals like and i know that they, like I, I i know i love music and i love a lot of things about music but i don't listen to a lot of instrumental music and I like vocals. I like words. I like lyrics. So, but not, neither of these are bad. They're they're perfectly fine. They're perfectly yeah. I, and I and I bet they work great live. Well, I, I'm interested to see as you go backwards pre stupid dream what you think because a lot of those albums are half instrumental. Signify is kind of the last one that's got a lot of instrumentals on it, and there are a lot, which is why I think it's safe to tell people to come in either at stupid dream or in absentia um revenant was only used as intro music uh on the in absentia tour they used the um like the orchestra hum from the beginning of even less uh on stupid dream and they would play that sometimes for 10 minutes with like little sound effects going in and out from various porcupine tree songs which was really cool um and they also offered that as a download on their website at some point like the actual intro version of it uh, but for this tour, Revenant was the music before they took the stage. So it's it's basically just intro music, you know, and pretty much, I think, just Richard with some Steven. Um, Mother and Child Divided, uh, they, they did it live uh, on occasion. It's, you know, if anything, I thought it just to kind of give Steven a breather from singing. Yeah. Um, and I can get into it, but again and it's kind of this way with the solo catalog as well like the instrumentals are usually what i'll uh, they're usually secondary to vocal things for me i mean i'm yeah. glad that this wasn't a track on the album um there are instrumentals that happen later in the catalog that i think really work well on an album oh yeah i don't think this would have um but uh uh yeah that, that's that's what these were and, and uh so-called friend and half light were on the lazarus single and Revenant and, and Mother and Child Divided were on the surround DVD uh, audio version. Uh, but all of that stuff is on the new box, kind of collected together. Nice. Um, and before, remastered. Before we get to the live shows, um, do you know anything about, they re-recorded She's Moved On. Like I'll never forget like that coming on and surprising me. And at first I thought it was like a new song to the album, and then I got uh, light bulbs on. I'm like, oh, it's actually an old song. Um uh, do you know why they re-recorded that or no? I do. Uh, and I didn't until the box set came out. So apparently, 
it was another record company thing. There was a DJ somewhere that loved the song so much that I can't remember if it was, it must've been their management suggested they record a new version. Um, and it was specifically basically to get this DJ to play it. And I think Steven says something like, don't think he ever played it either. Uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, it's a curiosity. It's, it's, it's good. Um, but I mean, oh, yeah. I, I'm so intimately familiar with the original uh, and the original also, and look, if this was the first version I heard going the other way, maybe it wouldn't work for me, but she's moved on. Chris Maitland's harmonies on it are a big part of it for me. I think she's moved on as one of the, I mean, it's the song that really was the first one that made me go, okay, I'm, I'm here. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, they, they did it and, you know, it, it didn't serve the purpose it was supposed to, but it's a, it's a, nifty little curiosity but it was recorded before the sessions i think they recorded it in 2004 if i'm not mistaken okay cool yeah i don't i don't mind it but i haven't side by sided it with the original like i i do like the original too so uh, maybe I'll, yeah and yeah, now, now i'm curious now i want to like listen for the harmonies on the original so that'll be fun when we get to doing our porcupine tree christmas episode later this year yeah I'm I'm down with that. I mean, they're very similar. They're very similar. It's not like a, a different rearrangement or anything. You'll be able to tell like it was recorded at a different time, and that's probably about it. Everything about it, I, I think, is going to be the same, except for the lack of Chris Maitland's voice and the drumming of Gavin now being on it. Uh, did you have any more live memories you wanted to share from this tour before we go to our next record? Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, uh, not in particular, uh, but I do want to call out that uh, they did a full performance on rock, and I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I've always called it in my head rock, rock palast or rock palast, but I've yeah. never actually verbally said it. So um, they released that as a download in 2006. The nice thing about that is it's got a live version of Mellotron Scratch. It's the only place you can find that. Uh, but then the next month they released Arriving Somewhere, which was their first DVD and if uh, or first live DVD, well, I guess probably first DVD. Um, it is a fantastic live show from the Dead Wing tour. Um, have you seen it at all? I've seen clips. There's clips from it on their YouTube channel. I've seen the Lazarus performance. I've seen the Arriving Somewhere performance. I've seen the Blackest Eyes performance. Okay. Um, it was the only, the only thing for me that was a pity was that it was missing Dead Wing, the song. Mm. Um, and it, it's a part of the tour where they started to bring in some other stuff that they weren't doing earlier in the tour. You get Don't Hate Me from Stupid Dream, Mother and Child Divided, they play. They also play Biting New Soul, which is an amazing song right before In Absentia. It's nice. on uh, the recordings, B-Sides kind of album. They do So-Called Friend. Um, if you haven't heard it, please do. It's uh, it's also, the television version is on the, the Dead Wing box set, but it's it's the t TV version was, edit was edited. The download audio was the full show. I highly recommend it. Uh, that's the rock lost. Now I'm getting confused. I was talking about Arriving Somewhere. Arriving Somewhere is the one that's got all of the songs that I just listed. I looked over my notes and totally confused myself. Um, the Rock Palast is uh, it's 
it's on the Deadwing box in its TV version, which is missing some songs. That is available as a full download. So is Arriving Somewhere. I think they've actually released a version of it now that's a combo Blu-ray and CD. Uh, it was not on CD for many years. It was available as a download, um, uh, the audio. So uh, both of those were available as downloads. But I definitely recommend Arriving Somewhere. It's it's probably easier to find now that it's been re-released on Blu-ray. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic uh and shot wonderfully um only only problem with it is that it's it was shot on video not film so the blu-ray will just look as good as the dvd but it's it's a fantastic show just from the opener of open car god damn you, if, if you see that and you're not in it's not for you oh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it's it's really really good um and then again the box set came out last year and it's got uh all the b-sides and uh uh the rock palast video and all that stuff so uh highly recommend that just all those three shows on the tour that i mentioned nothing uh specific but if we're moving right into the next album i do have an interesting anecdote before we get there i was gonna uh, ask do you have any oh sorry yeah so uh, do you know yeah. where i'm going with this i think i do so i think i'll wrap up uh um dead one real quick Great okay. sec second album in this era. Fantastic. Possibly my favorite. Underrated as hell. Go check it out. Go get the new version. It's amazing. Everybody, the Sly Dog jumping in here just to let you know that, uh, as usual, Craig and I talked for a very long time, especially about Porcupine Tree. Uh, we talked quite a bit, so this episode will be split into at least two parts, possibly three. Um, I just finished editing part one, if you're listening to this now, so uh, thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next week for part two. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and possibly tune in after that for part three. Uh, like I said, I have no idea how long this is going to go. We got very in-depth, and it was so much fun. Thanks again to Craig for coming on. These are such such wonderful episodes, and I hope you're enjoying them. Uh, but for now, we're going to let Steve and Richard and Gavin and Colin play us out. So later. See you in the next one.
Listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Sly Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Sly Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.